0: Something to see Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie. You may know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C e. Dorset. And today I wanted to talk about writing science fiction and fantasy through the method of but and therefore. Cuz I don't think a lot of science fiction and especially a lot of fantasy writers don't do this. So let's talk about it. So what is what do I mean when I say writing with but and therefore? Now, I wish I could play the clip. I wish I could play the clip, but I don't trust The world not to come down on me if I play a clip of Trey Parker and Matt Stoner talking. Or any of the other places that I could get this from. Um, (laughs) because that's where I got it from. Uh, but I don't trust that. So I'm just going to kind of reiterate what they said. When you're working on a story and you're looking at your outline, anytime you see and then, right? This happened and then this happened and then this happened. That's not good storytelling. Good storytelling should involve this happened, therefore that happened, but this happened and therefore that happened. Do you see what I'm saying? So this kind of conjunction play game here is helping to show the underlying logic of what's going on in the story. The hero does this, but the complication prevents that from succeeding. Therefore, the hero must now... Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Fill in the rest of the story. And the reason I say a lot of science fiction and fantasy doesn't do this is because it doesn't. (laughs) It really doesn't. And I think that's one of the things that makes it harder for us to... Gain larger audiences and why some things did. I think this is one of the things that J.K. Rowling was very good at and I know it's not right to say nice things about Miss Rowling right now, but let's face it, in the Harry Potter books, this is one of the great powers that the books have. This happens, therefore that happens, but this happens, therefore that happens. There's very little and then this happens in those stories and even those few things that you think are and this and then this happens like when um fred and george stuff the slytherin into the cabinet the vanishing cabinet that seems like such a minor thing but and do i have to say spoilers for the harry potter Potter series just in case Spoilers for the Harry Potter series, Um, but that vanishing cabinet turns out to be the one that Draco will eventually use to get the Death Eaters into the the castle. So, even a lot of the things that appear to be, and then, in the stories, right, end up having a meaning and a significance that we don't understand, right? Because it seems like Harry is trying to hide from Filch, and then he discovers the Mirror of Erised. Yes, but because he discovers the Mirror of Erised, he then therefore learns from Dumbledore how the Mirror works. Therefore, when he encounters Quirrell and Voldemort later he knows how to use the mirror and how to try to lie to get out of out of the situation because he doesn't know that you know but he doesn't know that lord voldemort is a legilimens cuz he doesn't know what that is yet and that's a very powerful thing when it comes to fantasy and science fiction because as much as i love and i do j r r tolkien his fiction is a lot of and then and then and then they go here and then they go here and then they do this and then they talk to those people and then they talk to those people and then they talk to these people and one of the things that is really powerful when you actually look at the legendarium is when you are Looking at it through the eyes of the Silmarillion, after you have uh, read the Silmarillion, all of those, not all, but most of those and-thens go away. Because you realize that Lord of the Rings is such a small, fractional part of the story, and then is really... Oh, because this happened in the first age, therefore that happened. Because this happened in the second age, therefore that happened. But that requires a lot of work on the reader's part, because one, you have to read the Silmarillion, and you have to remember the Silmarillion. And then when you go through the Lord of the Rings, all of these big books, um, you have to remember that. And because fantasy especially came from this long history and tradition of mythology and folktale, which folktale is a lot of and then, a lot of and then, because we're just listing the great deeds of the hero. He did this, and then he did that, and then he did this, and then he did that, and then he died. It's like the begats in the Gospels, <laughs> it, or the long genealogies at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And I bring those up because when you read a lot of mythology, you start seeing those genealogies everywhere. They're everywhere. Because the important thing is that you understand how this fits into the universe, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. So we don't have a lot of experience in science fiction and fantasy with, but therefore, writing. Now there are some classic writers who did this, and they may have called it something else. Called it something else, but just particularly the works of Arthur C. Clarke come to mind. Um, the works of um, Asimov come to mind. The, the Frank Herbert's Dune really comes to mind because, well, the, the spice must flow, but the. Harkonnens aren't doing a good job at keeping the Fremen from preventing the spice from flowing. Therefore, the Atreides are put in charge, but that upsets the, the Harkonnens, and, no, not even and, therefore, this was actually the master plan all along, because the Padishah Emperor wanted to pit the Harkonnen and the Atreides against each other so that he could solidify his power in the Lance Rad, but he didn't understand that Jessica and Paul would be able to unite the Fremen, therefore his plan <laughs> didn't work. And that's the simplest I could boil that down. There's so much of this in there. And it's what makes those stories wonderful, now I can never remember which one's which but and I'm terrible about that and I apologize but in the video in question that I went to just play for you the audio for you uh I don't remember if it was I think it was Matt Stoner but anyway one of them says that saying and then and then and then is not storytelling well it is it's it's the simplest form of storytelling when you talk to any child and you ask them, what did you do today? I did this and then I did this and then I did that. And then this happened. I mean, that's often how the story actually gets told to you. It's a little bit harder when you're dealing in fantasy and science fiction, because you're dealing often with threats and issues in the world and setting that require setup. And then you have to figure out how to explain it to people. This is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't read Moby Dick. Moby Dick realized for you to understand the story, when Herman Melville was writing that book, you would have to understand whaling inside and out, or the prose would be way too dense. Because he'd have to explain everything as it was going. So, if you actually read Moby Dick, a large amount of the book is teaching you about whaling, and it's tedious and it's hard to get through. But the whole point of it is by the time you get through that and you get into the story proper, you understand everything that's going on because you just read. All the reasons why they have to do X, Y, and Z in order to achieve their goals of capturing and killing a whale. I understand why fantasy writers and science fiction writers don't want to do that. Herman Melville did not come up with the most eloquent solution to this. And Let me just state for the record here, in case anybody thinks that I'm being overly braggadocio about this, I'm not saying that I have either. But if you go back to my episode that I did on world building and game mechanics a couple episodes back, I think it was last week, this is one of the reasons why I do that. Because when you understand the setting in terms of a game then you have rules you can explain to your readers. See, this method of writing a story where it's but and well and therefore, instead of and then, is engaging to a reader because you are demonstrating through the story that there is a consistency and a coherence in the events that happen, making the outcome predictable. Now, You have to figure out how predictable you want your outcome to be. Most of us don't want people to see the end very early on. Sometimes you do, and you want to see how you get there. That all depends, right, on the story that you're telling. But this can be very tricky when you're dealing with a magical problem or a technological problem because let's just go to an episode of star trek right star trek is infamous for this and then data invents the let's roll on the techno babble chart for a minute you know thing and everything is saved or geordie invents the thing or spock invents the thing or they remember to push the button or whatever it is there's a lot of almost accidental techno babbly deus ex machina that comes into science fiction and to a certain extent into fantasy when oh and the wizard did it and some of that can be thrilling if it's done properly and if it works you know the big reveal in star trek the motion picture as to who vidra is is in its own right set up to a certain degree, but you're, you'd are you be hard-pressed to figure it out before you get there. Is that a good reveal, or is that a bad reveal? That's really a matter of taste. Remember, to this day, people love, and I mean love, Sherlock Holmes stories, but they are unsolvable mysteries, mainly because... Watson is telling the story, and he doesn't see all the clues that Sherlock does. So Sherlock is going to pull a whole bunch of clues out of his butt at the end of the story in order to solve the mystery. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I'm not a huge fan. It's one of the reasons why I like Ellis Peters. when We're talking about somebody of that generation, right? More classic mystery. Because... I get to see all of the clues that are picked up including the red herrings. I get to sort through them and decide for myself whether or not I feel like I know who's who done it. And that in a lot of reason, in a lot of ways is why Harry Potter was successful. It was able to pull off this who this but therefore story structure because J.K. Rowling looked at these stories not as quest stories, but as mysteries that needed and could be solved, so long as you picked through the clues properly. This attempt at trying to write a story in this manner can be tricky for any of us writing in Any of the other genres, you know, the dirty genre fiction writers like myself, who like to write fantasy stories or sci-fi stories or steampunk stories, gasp. Because unless you're rooting the story specifically in human drama, where this character does this and then that character does that, oh wait, I said it, this character does this but that character does that, And back and forth, and back and forth, it's really difficult to fit these elements in. Because what if the actual thing that they're fighting is a force of nature? And this takes many forms, be it kaiju fiction, which I am a huge fan of. It could be zombie fiction, which I'm not so much a fan of, though that's hard for me to say because they're basically zombies in Crucify My Love. They're not really zombies, but they're kind of zombies, but... Uh, you know, you you become what you hate. Um, Be careful about how much you dislike and disdain a thing because you will eventually put it into your fiction. So what I have learned to do is, by one, gamifying my rules of magic, finding ways through the story to teach, or at least attempt to teach the reader the rules on which magic and the phenomenon work. Then, hopefully, they will have a chance to actually be able to solve the puzzle with the characters. And again, I I would never hold myself up and say, like, I am perfect at this or I'm the best at that. And I, I don't think you should trust anybody who does because it's very easy to get a really cool idea in your head and then and then and then and think that you're not doing it. So how does this actually work, especially for someone like me who is a pantser? This is an easy technique to employ if you're an outliner, because you just make sure you use those words in your outline and not just use those words, but make sure that they work only use, but when a complication is coming in and therefore when a previously justified action occurs. For goodness sakes, if you want to get for formal about it, you could even put in a whereas, where you can cite the previous inc- inciden- incidences ooh, that you're relying on that justify the action that's taking place. Um, this, If you're looking for some software to help you with this, Save the Cat actually makes a really good bit of software that allows you to track setups and payoffs as you're outlining your novel. And I really like it, and this is not a paid endorsement, though, hey, if y'all want me to talk more great stuff about Blake Snyder, his work, and everything that has come out of it, I will do that. I love Save the Cat. It, it, I love it. But what if, like me, you're a pantser, and you have an idea of where you want the story to go, and you just write it? Well, this is where editing really becomes powerful and helpful for you. When I was writing Crucify My Love a little, little, almost halfway through the book, I think, for the first time, this idea of a magical race of critters called the river wolves came into my, came into my mind. And were I writing the outline, it would have said very clearly, and then the river wolves appear. (laughs) Because they just spontaneously generated out of nowhere and took over a large chunk of the story. Well, in the edit, that becomes obvious. All of a sudden, there is, oh, and then this happens. So, I need to find a way in the edit, in the revision, to turn that into a but or a therefore. And my solution for that was to try to do both things simultaneously. One, by introducing the idea of the River Wolves earlier in the book... So, you know that they exist, and they're this kind of a critter, therefore they do that kind of a thing, but also introduce them as an obstacle. The characters want to do this, but then the river wolves kind of changing, rewriting the scene where they first appear a bit, and integrating it better into the story as a whole. So... That was my solution, and I think it works for the most part if you're a pantser. Now, it gets really tricksy because, you know, I have a book that I've been working on for a while now that I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, because most of, I've thrown out so much already. And I've only written like a chapter, a couple chapters, because it is constantly trying to do this and then, and then, and then. And they're not justifiable actions. They're not something that I could even go back and retroactively work into the story so that the actions made sense. And I can see that in my own writing ahead of time. And see those those kind of red flags, you know, popping up and yeah, no, that might not be the thing that should happen there. Maybe we should find something else and pull myself out and continue working to find a better solution because the one that presented is not a therefore and it's not a but it's not a complication and it's not something that logically comes out of either the characters or the setting or the events that led up to that point. And that can be really frustrating. But you, you have to make that choice if you're going to be a pantser because pantsing writing by the seat of your pants, not using an outline is really kind of trailblazing through a jungle You're going to have to cut a path through, and every now and then you will find that you have gotten to a ravine that you cannot scale the mountain and go down. It would take way too long to go along the edge until you could find a safe way down. Ah, crap. Oh, well. Let's just toss that out and uh, work on something else for a minute. Because that's not going to work. And sometimes you can find a way through that, and sometimes you can't. But you shouldn't allow yourself to then and then your way through it. Unless what you're introducing. This is the only time I think, especially in a science fiction or a fantasy world, it's okay to and then an event, but you need to be very careful and selective when you do so. And if you're really good about it, I think you can turn it into a therefore or a but. So we've gotten to the ravine, we can't get down, but there are these wild critters who fly in the area. Maybe our characters could either train one or at least ride one long enough to get to the bottom of the ravine. Not the best solution. Maybe we should look for a better one, but... It's workable. It's passable. It gets us forward. And if we're not careful, it it very quickly turns into, and then they see the magic winged horse. And then the horse lets it ride them. And then they go on to the bottom. You have to be very careful with introducing elements like that. And again, not saying I'm the best at it, but it's something that I've become very intensely aware of in my own fiction. And especially when I go back to my older stories, I see a lot of this oh, and then this amazing thing happens. Oh, and then this amazing thing happens. And oh, and then this other amazing thing happens. Because I was young and really excitable, and I was more interested in those more flashy, exciting things being present in the story than weaving the story together as tightly as I possibly could. Again, not saying I'm 100% cured of that, because I think that would be egotistical, but it, it is something that I've worked on in my own writing. And I think it makes science fiction and fantasy better when you're working in working on having that level of consistency within the world, within the characters and within the plot, because even the most amazing and magical things need to feel natural in the world that you're telling them, even if they're astounding, even if they're just so think about, let's go to, I'm sorry. I'm going to bring up avatar. Cause you know, I'm going to bring up avatar, the last airbender at some point while talking about fantasy And well-written stuff. Think about when Zuko saw Iroh use lightning for the first time. And it's this magical thing. And it's this amazing thing. But, one, it builds out of the character. It is... It almost gets its own story point where and of course Iroh can shoot lightning because Iroh can do just about everything he just doesn't because he's fed up with fighting and doesn't see fighting as the way to solve problems anymore but even if we don't look at it that way we see it as it is in story and therefore he did this to save Zuko because it really is Iroh, at that moment, deciding to use his power, which is something he's very reluctant to do. Iroh is very much about the soft power, being diplomatic, kind of joking his way through situations and finding ways to talk his talk th- through things. Iroh is the last one who wants to fight. But they pushed him so far. He had to use his knowledge and skills as a fighter to save Zuko do you see what I'm saying it it builds out of the character I don't know I was just thinking about this a lot today and I thought it would be an interesting thing to talk about I hope you agree If you like this episode and you like this podcast in general and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast, please do so. That helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share me with more people. If you have a dollar or so that you could pass my way down in the show notes, you'll see a link. This is anchor community support. If you click that, you can join the project at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That money helps me out a lot. It helps me to do everything that I'm doing. And then some, and thank you so much to everybody who does that. If you don't have a dollar to spare, or you just don't feel like doing it, that's fine. But if you know anybody you think might like this podcast, please share it with them. And please start thinking about whether or not you want to listen to Mask of the Gods when it comes out, because that's probably going to happen next week. Very excited about that. I'm so excited. (laughs) You have no idea. Um, if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to send my way, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm C. on Twitter, or you can go to anchor.fm, download the anchor app onto your phone or device, and then follow project shadow. You'll see a button that says voice message, keep it clean and let me know what you want to talk about. It'd be really cool. And then this becomes more our podcast than just mine. And I think that would be an awesome Thing. if you want to find links to anything and everything that I do just head over to projectshadow.com and it's all right there yeah I'm not joking I think next week if I can keep everything on schedule and so far it looks it's looking like I can next week mask of the gods will be launching and you'll get to hear the first chapter of crucify my love I'm very excited about that. You know, I've been working on this book for years and I'm so excited to finally be able to start sharing this world with you and tell your friends, start getting everybody hyped because it's coming and I really want I really want the launch to just go boom. So, oh, I'm so excited. Anywho, thank you for listening and don't forget, until next time, have the fun. Bye.